Thank you very much, Trevor. Thank you, uh, Sally and Roger, for the, the worship and the, uh, the music. It's lovely. Um, so, uh, I just want to say a little apology. I feel as though I have been absent for quite a few weeks with one thing and another. Um, I haven't deserted you. It's all just life taking over for uh, a little while, meaning that I've not been around. But I'm delighted to be back here this morning. And um, as Trevor has said, we're continuing with the uh, the book, uh, well, the talks that are based on the book, Welcome by Jen Oshman. Um, and t- today's um, talk is entitled, The Church Opens Her Doors. So, uh, you may wonder what the significance of this first picture is. Uh, <clears throat> as you can see, Billericay Baptist Church in a nice cheery welcome sign. You can also see a Mark 1 escort. It is not Martin's Mark 1 escort because we didn't have a picture of it. But that is the car that he owned. He was very clear that I was to say that it was his car, not ours, actually. <clears throat> he spent his, his hard-earned money buying that. I had no contribution, uh, made no contribution to that. And um, that was the car that we, we came down in two uh, wonderful Essex from Bradford. And um, this was, I am assured, in 1982. Um, And um, what was our welcome like when we came to the church? Well, our first service was an evening service. We'd heard about Billericay Baptist Church and we'd come from Westgate Baptist Church in Bradford and we wanted to follow along the tradition of, you know, Baptists. We weren't totally, you know... It, it, it wasn't exclusive, if you like, we, we needed to go to a Baptist church, but we were familiar with Baptist churches, so we decided we would go. Um, only we, we didn't have sat-nav or anything sort of sophisticated like that. We were not particularly good at reading maps, basically, and um, we were late. In our eyes, we were late, because services in uh, Bradford started at 630 and we were still scouring the streets of uh, Billericay at gone 6.30. So we thought, oh, this is going to be embarrassing. When we finally spotted the church, we thought we were going to be horribly late. But to our amazement, people were still going in, because, of course, the, church, the, the service didn't start till 7. So uh, we, we went in, and for me, at least, I'm sure, Martin, it was the same for you, there was this sense of relief that we'd actually found a church because we were really anxious to get into a church. We really wanted to be part of a fellowship. And uh, we, we, we go in, we, we go through the service, and afterwards, I remember it very clearly, this lady called Marion Armour, uh, she and her husband Brian, I think it was, uh, she was there at the hatch, teas and coffees being served, and she was so welcoming. She was just perfect. I have never felt so sort of grateful for one person being so welcoming and it happened that um, she and her husband lived on the same estate, North Landon, that we were living on and uh, yeah, it, it was a really lovely welcome. So I wanted to start with that because people have been sharing how they have felt 
the welcome at Billericay Baptist Church. And I can say that it was very real for us. And as you know, however many years later, we're still here, part of Billericay Baptist Church. So it's that uh, that bad at all. Indeed, it was very good. Um, so today we're moving on uh, in Jen Oshman's book, uh, Welcome to the Church Opens Wide Her Doors. So how wide are our doors? How does our welcome look? And I want to say at outset that I think we do a fabulous job here of welcoming people in. Uh, we've, we've got Jan on the door, um, others on the door. Uh, we, we have, well, we haven't got the doors wide open today because it's getting cooler, but very often the doors are open. It's quite obvious that we are welcoming people in. And the same goes for Perry Street. We don't have a discriminatory policy, do we? We don't say you have to look a certain way. Hair's got to be a certain length. You've got to dress in a certain way. We, we welcome people in. So none of what I say today uh, from, from the book um, or from my interpretation of the book is in any way a slight on what we do already. Um, it's, it's more a question of what more can we do? How else can we approach this welcoming people and making our doors even wider? Well, what is our welcome liturgy? Uh, in her book, Jen Oshman uh, refers to particular words that are said at the beginning of every service that they have in their church. And it's based on um, <coughs> excuse me, words uh, um, from Ray Ortland, who is pictured there. He's a found, former and founding pastor of Emmanuel Church in Nashville, Tennessee. And he, in turn, adapted a speech made by James Boyce from the 10th Presbyterian Church um, to read out in his church every Sunday at the beginning of worship services. And here you can see his, his scribbled uh, notes on this um, speech from James Boyce. Um, and he was very, very intent on making everyone whether they were Christian or not, feel welcome in the church. And I think it's particularly pertinent that um, actually scrubbed out spiritually um, in, the, in the first. Um, you'll see a tidied up version in a moment. But to all who are weary and need rest, so it's sort of like immediately um, welcoming everyone. <coughs> Excuse me, sorry not just those who are church, those people who have been coming along for um, quite a while, who have met Jesus, who have made a commitment to him, but to all who are weary and need rest. Let's have a look at it, uh, tidied up. This is the version that this uh, gentleman, Ray Ortland, and uh, then... Uh, Jen Oshman in her church, they have used a welcome liturgy to all who are weary and need rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God even cares, to all who are weak and, 
uh, fail and desire strength to all who sin and need a saviour. This church opens wider doors with a welcome from Jesus, the mighty friend of sinners, the ally of his enemies, the defender of the indefensible, the justifier of those who have no excuses left. And on looking a little bit further into, into this, um, he said, I quote from Ray Ortland, when people walk into church, they've been beaten up all week. We live in a social environment in which we never measure up. We are soaked in an environment of criticism and comparisons, so much so that it feels normal. We are made to feel small at work, in advertising and in almost every area of life. We swim in an ocean of criticism all week and then we walk into church. And then he goes on to say, I just want people to know it's going to be different now. You've just walked into grace. We can relax. We can own up. We can be honest. We can face the living God through the blood of Christ and let him speak to us. So the church is not so much a preaching centre, but a place where the beautiful love of God is evident. Where there is no whiff of superiority, where everyone is equal. A bold message of grace, not our moral superiority, but his. The good news that our all rightness is not in us at all, but exterior to us and found in Christ alone. Our justification is not in this world, but in the Father's hand. Nothing in this world can change it. Our security is with God is out of this world. There is an out-thereness of our salvation. That should be the centrality of the message we put across. Because we're all tarred with the same brush, aren't we? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's not that we who are inside the church have made it. We're totally reliant on his grace. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Reading the chapter in uh, Jan Oshman's book and thinking through things has made me more aware of, of how our personal relationship with God, our understanding of him and his love for us, his no-holds-barred approach, his acceptance of us, his consummate love for the world is so fundamental to how we reach out to a hurting world. We know we are all sinners. We know there's nothing special about us except how we've related to God and accepted the love of Christ for us and repented of our sins. How do we communicate that to those outside the church and persuade them that, we, that they can come in and join us? What do people not used to going to church think about us? 
well, there are many surveys, I'm sure, but um, this group, Barna Group, an evangelical Christian polling firm based in California, have conducted surveys which reveal a huge gap between how churchgoers view the church and how non-attenders feel about it. You won't be surprised when you look at these figures, sadly. 80% of practising Christians have a positive view of the church. 21% of non-Christians have a positive view of the church. It's pretty grim reading, isn't it? Why? Many people don't trust the church and sadly we all know of things that have been in the headlines that show that people within the church have not behaved in a respectable way at all. Um, Not all churches, clearly, but there have been some pretty well publicised events that have gone on that have led people to distrust the church. And half of those aged 22 to 36 think the local church is detached from the real issues people are facing. So what Jan Oshman suggests is that a welcome liturgy similar to the one shown should be one way uh, to address these discouraging statistics, getting getting the message out to people that we are a humble, compassionate community who know we're all a work in progress, that we haven't got it all sorted, that we're not a country club with weekly meetings, uh, do-gooders, um, sort of like the holier-than-thou sort of people. But indeed, we are, the church is, a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. It's a good quote, isn't it? When people started to mutter about Jesus spending time with Zacchaeus, or Zacchaeus, however you want to pronounce his name, a tax collector, Jesus said in Luke 19, verse 10, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. We're here because we need a saviour. Everyone needs a saviour. We're dependent upon God's grace. And uh, at this point, rather than, I looked at a couple of pages and thought, you know what, there's no point in me trying to word it in my own way. I'm just going to read out a a short extract from uh, the book and the chapter that we're looking at particularly. Closely related to the word hospital is the word hospitality. The root of both is the Latin noun hospes, meaning one who provides lodging or entertainment for a guest or visitor. Hospitals provide hospitality to the sick so that they might become healthy and whole. And that is exactly what God calls us to do. Both the Old and New Testaments command those who belong to the Lord to generously provide hospitality. And not only are we to practice hospitality, but we are to do so in a way that, if necessary, administers aid and care to the sick. The prophet Isaiah says, true fasting is to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter. Isaiah 58 verse 7. Paul tells Titus that an elder must be hospitable 
Titus 1, verse 8. While in the home of a prominent Pharisee, Jesus commands, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And the Apostle Peter urges the church to offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. 1 Peter 4 verse 9. Over and over, the Bible commands the church to open wide our doors to the hungry, the poor, the wanderer, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and to one another. What we might easily dismiss or forget, though, is that we, the church, are the hungry, the poor, the wanderer, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. We who gather in church are the sick in need of a doctor. We are the sinners in need of a saviour. To be sure, by God's immeasurable love and grace, we who are in Christ are redeemed. We are now new creations, and God lives inside of us, but we have not yet reached perfection. We still wage war against our own flesh. We will not be without sin until we reach heaven. We are still in need of, even as we are required to give, the hospitality of a hospital. And praise God, that is exactly what Jesus' mission provides for us. So, I just want to pause at this point, because I don't want people thinking that uh, I don't know what's going on in this church to provide provide that hospitality and I wonder if you would like to contribute at this point and tell me the ways in which you think uh, we as a church, Tyne Road or um, Perry Street welcome people in any ideas? Mother and baby group preparation yep and here on a Friday morning Sunny days, absolutely. That's one that's very key to this this church, isn't it? This congregation. Uh, sunny days, what a, a brilliant um, opportunity that is. Um, what wonderful work goes on at sunny days. Boys. <coughs> Excuse me. The games. Games evening, that's open to all, yeah. Thank you. Girls and Boys Brigades, yep. Yep, Global Cafe, I've got written down here, everyone else has mentioned everything else. Church Walks I've put down, as, you know, we went on one yesterday and I'll allude to it a little bit later on as well because something really quite marvellous happened at yesterday's um, uh, walk. But um, well, there are a lot of things that we do. Um, but can we do can we do more? Are there the, is there a different way that we can look at um, our welcome um, and, and bring yet more people in into contact with the Saviour who we want them to have? Um, let's have a look at the mission of Jesus. What was his mission? 
These are words from uh, Luke 4, verses 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And this is our mission as followers of Jesus. We need to carry this good news, this proclamation of freedom from oppression and healing. How do we do it? How do we override the human part of us that recoils slightly, perhaps, when carrying out this mission? It's all good and true to, to say this is our mission, but then when you, you start to think about all the sorts of people who we might get in, how happy are we with the idea of dealing, you know, with, with, with people who are not quite in our way, to our way of thinking, in, they're not quite in our zone. Because we know that out, out in, the, in the world, uh, all around us, there are people with many differing opinions and ways of life. And are we ready to embrace those people? I want to be perfectly honest with you, um, having written most of this, um, well, all of it by Friday afternoon, I went to get my COVID jab. And um, I was sitting in in a pharmacy, having to wait quite a long time, which is slightly irritating, but there we go, that's just life. And uh, I was uh, horrified um, to find myself judging the people that I saw around me. It was um, just, I'm sure I'm not the only person to do this, but as people were walking in, or saw different people around the the pharmacy, I was thinking, well, you're a bit bit overweight, you need to lose a bit of weight. Not so sure about that haircut, and I don't know, just silly, really quite naughty things. And I picked myself up and thought, do you know, Joan, that's exactly what you've been saying that we've got to get a grip of, and we've got to um, override because, as human beings, we 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 can can have a, like an automatic reaction within ourselves to people who we meet. Um, and, and that was just sort of like looking at people from a physical perspective. Now, I, I repented of that, you'll be pleased to know, and said my sorries to, to God for, for thinking like that. And um, it, it just sort of struck me that we, we all have our comfort zones and... Uh, if, if someone was to walk in there who was drug addict or maybe nothing as, as sort of serious as that, somebody who had uh, obviously who, who was, was very different to us, uh, how, how would we cope? Would we be able to override our human feelings and, and welcome them in because everyone needs a saviour, everyone uh, needs compassion and we are to, to follow in the mission of Jesus to embrace everyone 
and not be judgmental in any way. So I hope you don't feel bad about me being honest with you, but I think it's, it sort of just struck me that I was um, preaching to myself. And that's not a bad thing, is it? And our, our driving force, what is our driving force? This verse, out of all that I looked at, really struck me forcefully. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. And I was thinking of that first section there, for Christ's love compels us. If something's compelling, it's persuasive, isn't it? It's something that we buy into, that we know. And it made me um, think of how strongly I had been loved by God. How immense was God's love for mankind. And if, you're, if you've known it, then you want to share it. I remember uh, as a uh, trainee insurance broker, many years ago, um, not enjoying it at all and not being sold on insurance policies at all. Okay, and at one point, um, my boss said, Joan, you might like to think about going out and selling insurance or something like that. And I thought, no way. A, you would get no sales because I'd be way too apologetic because I, I saw my job as a job and um, yes, uh, I don't say that insurance, assurance has no value. Of course it does. But there'd be no way that I could, could sell it with, you know, huge enthusiasm and, um, and persuade people, give them a compelling argument to buy it. No, I wouldn't, was no use at doing that, so I never did it. Go on a few years when I went into teaching, teaching languages. Well, Okay, I won't say I've persuaded that many students to of the value of learning language. Uh, at the same time, I remember quite a few years ago, at one point, as you might or might not know, in, within teaching languages, in, within language learning at school, there have been times when students have had to carry on with the language at GCSE and times when they could choose. And on one occasion in the years when they were choosing, we had all the year nines in, because that was when they chose languages, right, into the hall, and we, we basically put on this show for them of all the advantages of learning languages. And I remember at the end of it, it was difficult because they were fidgety and noisy and didn't want to know and all the rest. At the end of it, the two technicians who'd helped me said, you were really going for that, weren't you? You were really there. And I thought, yes, I was, because I believed in it. I was really sold on students knowing that learning a foreign language
a good thing to do. And I transfer that to this. Does Christ's love compel me? Am I dwelling in the knowledge of his love enough for it to to propel me um, to to go out and uh, give that over, share it with with others. Um, When you've got a reason for doing something, we are filled with motivation, aren't we? And we need the, the Holy Spirit to um, help us to, to, to go out with that message and to share the gospel in ways that persuade people to commit their lives to Christ. And if we have that knowledge of his love, if we're living in the love of Christ and all that he's done for us, then that shows, doesn't it? It shows on our faces. It shows in the way that we treat people. It shows in the way that we act. The testimony of Paul encourages us to ask ourselves what motivates us to share the good news of Jesus with others. Are we driven by a genuine love and affection for Christ? By a clear view of Christ's love for the lost? or merely by a sense of duty. And I would, for myself, uh, like to, to spend time deepening my love, uh, my knowledge of God's love for me and for the whole of mankind, because that is what will propel me, and I'm sure uh, you, to go out with the message of God's love for everybody else. Another verse that speaks passionately is this very familiar one from John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. If you look at it in the Amplified Version, you have certain aspects that are really underlined. For God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave his one and only begotten Son so that whoever believes and trusts in him as Saviour shall not perish but have eternal life. So how can we become a church which truly opens wide her doors? There are some um, suggestions that Jan Oshman makes at the end of this chapter. And maybe you have other uh, ideas as well. Just go through um, a few of of what she says and and also something that um, uh, I, I would like to share with you. What can we do to open our doors wider, termed it, One that she suggests is this, ask some of our non-believing friends what they think of Christian churches in our community. What is it that stops them going into a church? 
Is it that they feel inferior? Is it that they feel that we're hypocritical? Is it that they think we're going to be singing too much? Whatever. Is there a particular reason? Because if we don't know why people don't come in, then how can we rectify that? Think what it's like to enter a new church. What contributed to our impression that the people were welcoming? I've given you my our first impressions of coming into Billericay Baptist Church. Are there other things that maybe that you felt when you came into church that were were really good and welcoming? Can we get involved in our own neighbourhood or community? I put this one in because when uh, as a South Green congregation we had the ideal opportunity to get involved in the church where we were meeting in the school where we were meeting uh, Martin was a, was a governor um, and that made life a little bit easier to, to get involved um, but we would sometimes help out at the summer fete for example we weren't there to preach we were there to help is there some way with, within Sunnymead are there any avenues there where we can just offer our services to help out um, and can we take church outside the walls because as much as we're talking about making our doors wide okay, maybe some of that is us going out of the doors and getting into the community. Um, could we go out, a few of us, from this small congregation here, um, and could we go and uh, do some prayer walking around the neighbouring streets? Could we um, put something on, which is minimal, minimal work for everyone, to, uh, that wouldn't be, if you'd like, a church service per se, but something that would be welcoming and non-confrontational. I'm just putting out some ideas here. What I do think is important is that we are in the right mindset to take Jesus with us wherever we go. I want to finish with, with two examples of that. Number one, uh, many of you will, will know, well, you, you will all know from the bulletin that very sadly um, Faith Gorel's husband, um, John, died recently and he was only 47 and it was it is a very difficult time. I was privileged to go to his Thanksgiving service and um, was so impressed by the fact that people from all the areas of life where he was operational, if you like, at work, uh, in the, the football clubs that he managed or was involved in, the message was always the same. 
that he was a great guy that was totally humble and totally welcoming. And particularly the people who were in the football club said he always treated everyone equally. No one was made to feel that they were inferior in any way. And we know that he had um, a strong faith and he wanted to be the best person he could be for, for God. I just think that's a tremendous witness that he was so accepting of people and so generous with his time, not just within church, but everywhere he was. And, and we, can, we can do that. We can take that out with us, can't we? And I think we do. Uh, don't get me wrong, again, I would say, and I know that as a church, we do a lot of things. The other thing is something that happened yesterday that was just amazing. We went out on the church walk um, around Fryerling, do we say? Um, a little group of us, we did the walk. We got back to the Cricketer's Arms, is it? And um, Pete Hall had arranged for us to go in to finish off the, the walk. We would go in there. Uh, Vicky's wife had provided cakes. Um, and um, the, 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 the pub was perfectly happy for us to go in there, buy a drink, and sit there. They would provide the plates and we could have the cake. Um, towards the end of the cake eating, the cakes were delicious, um, a lady and her husband and little child were there and um, she offered to take a picture of us all sitting there. So we dutifully posed and everything. And Pete said, thank you very much from Billericay Baptist Church. God bless. And she said, God bless back. And then, you know, she went back to be with her husband and, and daughter, I think it was. Um, and we, we, we offered, or he offered uh, the, the, any of them a piece of cake and the daughter went away with a piece of cake. Um, but before she went, she said to us all, actually, uh, I just want to say how lovely it has been to say, be able to say, God bless to you. She said, I'm from a religious background, is the way she termed it. Um, and it's been so lovely to be able to say, God bless. And for you to say that back to me. And Pete jumped up and said, is it okay if I pray for you before you go? So he does. And she was very happy with that. And was really, really happy uh, to be prayed for. Um, and they, they went off. And I thought, do you know what? That is just such a wonderful illustration of how simply we can take that welcome out, or whether or not she starts coming to Billericay Baptist Church, she starts going to a church again, who knows, but that was an opportunity that was not missed. I praise God for Pete's ability to just jump up and say, can, we pray, can I pray for you? Um, and I think sometimes, for me, particularly, for me, probably for you, we can be too shy of saying who we are. 
we can think people don't want to know. Let's keep it quiet who we are. But actually, we're, we're talking about a needy world. Yes, there are people who've got um, antagonism towards the church, um, but there are many others who are longing for us to get round them, to welcome them, um, and to, to pray for them. So, I thought that was a, a lovely illustration of, of, of how we can take the church outside the walls, and hopefully that will encourage people to come in as well. His love and grace are sufficient for all. We're all on a level playing field, in a level playing field, whatever the expression is. We're all equal in God's sight. No one has arrived. Everyone needs a saviour. And let's pray that in days to come, we are all impassioned with a knowledge of the love of God. So that wherever we are, whatever circumstances we're in, we can be ready to share that with people. Amen. Oh,